Chapter Two of In a North Country Village by Emmy Francis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Gaffer's Child. About a half mile from the village proper is a certain neat white cottage standing in its own potato plot and surrounded by fields. This was inhabited for many years by an old couple, their only daughter and an elderly labourer, a lodger, whose small but regular weekly payments eked out their tiny income. The father and mother, Middleton by name, shortened for convenience sake into the less aristocratic but more suggestive title of Midden, were both deprived of the use of their limbs, and passed the greater part of their lives in large elbow chairs on either side of the fireplace. After Betsy, their daughter, had washed and dressed them of a morning, she and the lodger shifted them from the bed with its blue check curtains to these and then the lodger straightened his back and nodded at them and reckoned they'd do and went off to his work and betsy when she'd finished her scrubbing and cleaning up in the house betook herself to the garden and all day long the old pair sat and stared at each other from opposite sides of the hearth for the most part in silence though sometimes they compared ailments and sometimes they had a little quarrel one day Tom Middleton died, and then there was only one old body to wash and dress and seat by the fire. When they carried her out of her room as usual, the first morning after her husband's funeral, Mrs. Midden turned her head and looked about her. "'What's getting feathers cheer?' "'It's yonder, a side of the dresser,' answered Betsy, growing suddenly a little pink about the eyes. "'They'll fetch it out and set it where it allus was.' So the empty chair was placed in its former place, and the old woman sat and looked at it, day after day, till one morning she too was shifted for the last time, and Betsy put both chairs against the wall. Poor Betsy was alone in the world now, and cried a great deal in consequence, and sat for hours with her apron over her head. But presently she began to recover herself, and to take comfort in the thought that as it was to be, it had happened before her blacks were worn out. If it had but a been the Lord's will to a took her at the same time as feyther, we needn't had but the one burying, she remarked with a sob. Ah, said Ned Gill, the lodger, but you see, things never falls out the way we stab them, if we'd ought to say to them, and the Almighty no doubt knows best. It might a come more expensive in the long run. Eh, hey, that's true, assented Betsy and then she gave honest Ned his dinner in a handkerchief, and told him he'd best be trotting. Betsy at this time was about forty-two, short, stout, and hard-featured enough, though she had very kindly blue eyes, and a bright good-humoured smile. She and Neddy Gill were excellent friends, and neither of them saw any reason why she should not continue to do for him now as she had for the last ten years. She was therefore considerably startled and annoyed, when one morning the canon, alarmed for the proprieties, suggested that under existing circumstances it would be as well for her to look out for another lodger. "'What for?' said Betsy, pausing with her foot on the spade. She had been earthing up her potatoes, and looking round with a puzzled face. "'Well, you see, Betsy, you're a single woman, and living quite alone. It's not quite nice to have a man lodging here. You'd better try to find a woman, or a married couple to stay with you, if you must let lodgings. It would be much pleasanter for you, too. You would have company all day long, you know. I do not want no more company nor what I have, 
returned Betsy stolidly. I couldn't be moided with folks in the house in the daytime, and I couldn't do with women at all. I've me work to do, inside and out, and no time for aught else. And arter Ned takes his breakfast i' the morning, he's out o' the road all day, and of an evening I've got used to see him sitting in a corner smoking his pipe. Here Betsy spat in her hands and turned over another shovelful of earth. Well, but, Betsy, ah, I've got used to Neddy, you see, and I reckon he's used to me, she interrupted, glancing up again. We's do very well, Canon, thank ye. Well, Betsy, in that case, don't you think you and Ned had better be married? Betsy plied her spade with great vigour and made no answer. You see, urged the Canon, you really might just as well. It would make very little difference to either of you, and would stop people from talking. Besides, it would be nice for you to feel that you were no longer alone in the world, and to have someone to take care of you and work for you. Betty drove her spade slowly into the ground, and rested her foot on it once more. Ah, she said calmly, that's true enough. I never thought of that before. Well, Canon, I reckon you'd best speak to Ned. I haven't got no objections. The Canon withdrew in some amusement, and Betsy went on with her work. An hour or two later, Ned's well-known slow step was heard on the path, but instead of proceeding straight to the house as he usually did when he returned of an evening, he went up to her and stood beside her. "'Have you seen Cannon?' inquired Betsy, without looking up. "'Ah,' returned Ned. "'Well,' said Betsy. "'Well, I've naught agin it.' "'Ah, well, neither have I. It'll not make such a deal of difference, neither.' as Cannon says. Ned stood for a moment or two, contemplating the sturdy figure of his future helpmate, with a queer half-puzzled smile on his weather-beaten face. Then he observed that he had told Cannon he might as well shout them next Sunday. "'You did, did you?' returned Betsy. "'Sounds like business, that.' She suddenly straightened herself, and handed Neddy the spade with an engaging smile. "'Sin that's how it's to be,' she observed. You might as well finish the taters. A happier couple than Betsy and Neddy, Gaffer, as she called him, it would be hard to find. There was but one drawback to their bliss. Theirs was the fate of the proverbial king and queen in the old fairy tales. They had no children. This was perhaps scarcely to be surprised at, a fact which Betsy frequently endeavoured to impress upon her spouse. "'Where do you suppose we'd find childer at our time o' life?' she would ask him a little impatiently. "'You should have wed before if you'd wanted that mack o' work.' "'Ah, that's true enough, lass,' Gaffer would reply. "'But eh, hey, I'd be proud if we was to have a little and of our own, a pretty little thing with rosy cheeks as had come running to the gate when I'd be coming warm of an evening.' "'Eh, hey, you're not but an owd foo,' Betsy would say, in rather shaky tones, though. A pretty un too. It's likely, I'm sure. Why didn't you think of that before and tack up with some gradely young lass twenty or thirty year ago? You'd a had childer enough by this. I'd uphowd thee. Ah, happen I would, Ned would assent. And yet, missus, I doubt if any young lass would do for me and that the same way as you. I've naught again you at all, missus. Nay, naught anyway. I've been as comfortable as I'd ever axed to be. So there, wretch me the backhoe, we say no more about it. 
Betsy felt that this was very handsome on Ned's part, and his tolerance made her regret more than ever her inability to gratify him on the particular point in question. She allowed her husband henceforth various small latitudes against which she had hitherto set her face, such as the keeping of a dog, though that, as she frequently observed, was a macacreta she never could abide. She also permitted him to fill the house with neighbours' children as often as he fancied, enduring good-humouredly enough the noise they made and the strew and general disorder in her tidy kitchen. In time, indeed, she herself grew fond of their little visitors, and sometimes when she saw her gaffer with a flaxen-haired mite on his knee, or prepared a jam butty for some small petitioner whose chubby hands clung to her skirts, and whose laughing eyes were raised roguishly to hers, honest Betsy would heave a deep sigh of regretful longing. It is not very often that in such cases as this a demand creates a supply. Indeed, as a young Irish friend remarked in my hearing once, it's always the best mothers who have no children. But curiously enough, the intense wish of the good couple was gratified after many years in a quite unexpected manner. It happened that in a certain country town five or six miles from Thornley, a little stranger made its appearance, finding no welcome ready for it, and indeed being considered very much in the way. The father had emigrated, and was not to be heard of. The mother, a servant, and a simple foolish young thing, was far from home and kindred. It would have fared badly with her had she been cast adrift, but her mistress, who was much attached to her, consented to keep her if the baby could be satisfactorily disposed of. This charitable lady, therefore, consulted a friend of hers, who consulted the canon, who consulted Mrs. Gill, who consulted Ned, and the result was general jubilation. "'It'll be Gaffer's child,' said Betsy. "'I left it to him to settle, and he's all for tacking it. "'But the only fear is, Canon, if the mother goes and takes it from us "'just as we're getting fond on it, it'll go near to break his heart.' "'I don't think you need to fear that,' said the Canon. "'The poor creature is only too thankful to get rid of it, "'and her mistress promises to see that she pays for its keep regularly.' "'Eh, well, that'll be a very good job too. "'I dunnot say as the money won't come in.' responded thrifty Betsy, and so the matter was settled. The day before the baby took up its abode with its foster parents, Gaffer Ned walked up to Thornley Hall, and after a little preliminary beating about the bush, inquired with a bashful grin if there mightn't be such a thing as an owd cradle of some mac or other to be bestowed for the asking. Well, there was a cradle which the last occupant had outgrown, and of which she had taken possession for her dolls but with a little persuasion she was induced to part with it. Sheets, blankets, and counterpane were hunted up, and it was presented to Ned. To see his face when the befrilled and beribboned bassinet was brought down. His eyes positively shone with rapture, and his mouth pursed itself up into a comical expression of admiring satisfaction. Then, the reverence with which he took hold of it, the care with which he carried it, almost as though already a baby face lay on the lace-trimmed pillow. His way lay through the village, and as he marched along with his burden, a good many sly jokes were made at his expense, but brave old Neddy held on his way stoutly and good-humouredly, turning his jolly wrinkled face over his shoulder now and then to respond to some neighbour's sally or to utter a witticism of his own. He was so happy, he was as ready to laugh as any of them. Next day, 
betsy donned her best garments and went to fetch the baby which was delivered over to her by its temporary nurse with much satisfaction gaffer went to meet her as she returned and insisted on taking possession of the child while his wife trudged joyfully beside him carrying its little wardrobe and its bottle when they got indoors ned sat down carefully and with big eager trembling fingers unfolded the little one's wraps gazing for some moments in silence at the placid face missus come here he whispered presently to betsy who was tacking off her things at the other side of the room she drew near smiling the infant's tiny hands clasped gaffer's great horny forefinger eh owd lass though mighty's good said ned we'n got a little un we're own at last it was pleasant to see betsy assume the airs and importance of a mater familius of long standing to see her dandle the infant and pat it on the back and administer cinder tea on occasion and to hear her discuss with other matrons its ailments the teeth which according to her it began to breed at the age of about six weeks the notice which it already took and various other points of equally absorbing interest all this was pleasant enough but it was still more delightful to see gaffer with the child he got up half an hour earlier in the morning that he might have time to assist at its toilet before going to his work and would stand watching its ablutions with intense interest his face wrinkled up into the funniest mixture of pride and anxiety dunnot she come on wonderful betsy would say sustaining the pink morsel in the basin with one hand over which the helpless little head drooped and bobbed in the effort to sustain itself she do bless her little heart neddy would answer with modest triumph one day the baby crowed and kicked in the water for the first time and the old couple fell a-laughing until they were obliged to wipe the tears of ecstasy from their eyes and sometimes she cried and then ned sternly reprimanded betsy and wanted to know what she was about to let the poor child break its heart like that without doing something for it he would hurry home in the evening putting away his tools with all speed and polishing his hands on the legs of his trousers now missus he would call out and over and betsy nothing loath handed over the child to be cuddled and dandled and sung to at least as she sometimes explained to her neighbours gaffer doesn't exactly sing for he can't but he makes a kind of noise and he's pleased and she's pleased and so all's reet meanwhile the child grew and throve amazingly the weekly pension was paid regularly but the mother never once came to see her unnatural i call it observed betsy and then with a sigh half jealous half relieved well happen it's all for the best just as little polly was nine months old and had begun to lisp dada and to spring and wriggle in betsy's arms when she heard ned's step news came to the white cottage which plunged its inhabitants into desolation polly's mother had got into bad ways and her mistress said she could no longer keep her and she was bent on going to london and worse than all on taking baby polly with her i knowed how it ud be sobbed betsy didn't i tell ee murmured gaffer in a choked voice and after a pause turning to the woman a friend of polly's mother who had been sent to make the announcement and to fetch the child nay but ye might tell her as we do not all to the bit o money coming regular if it's that as she's got in her head we'd be fain to keep the little un for naught 
tell her that and tell her as she needn't fear but it'll be well done to and and with a sob the missus and me will be fair heartbroken to part with it the friend was quite sure of that and very sorry but it couldn't be helped the mother wanted her child and she had promised to fetch it so if mrs gill wouldn't mind putting its bits of things together she'd like to be going mrs gill after many expostulations and reproaches was obliged to comply and at last the bundle was tied up and the baby received tearful farewell embraces from her foster parents but events proved that they had counted without this baby she had submitted placidly enough to be bonneted and cloaked and wept over but when it came to be handed over to a strange woman and carried down the road leaving dada and mammy standing by the gate it was quite another matter polly displayed an energy and determination which no one had hitherto given her credit for she screamed she kicked she fought like a little soldier as betsy subsequently remarked with great pride she doubled herself up and turned black in the face and finally when everything else failed prepared to go into convulsions when it came to this her new acquaintance hurried back and almost flung her into betsy's arms take her for god's sake she cried i'll have no more to do with her she'll be dead before i carried her halfway if her mother wants her let her come and fetch her herself but the mother did not come whether her friend's account of the gills unwillingness to part with polly and polly's unwillingness to part with them had touched or frightened her did not transpire but the honest couple were after this left in undisturbed possession of their treasure the fact that from that day forward they never received a penny for its keep rather increased than diminished their satisfaction two years passed very uneventfully and polly had become one of the prettiest children in the neighbourhood of thornleigh many of the neighbours shook their heads over the idolatrous worship of the honest couple for their little prattling sunny-headed nursling i never did all wi spilin a child that gait one wise matron would observe to another ned's fair silly about yon and betsy's nigh as bad and when ye come to think you know what it is and where it's come from yai the other would respond i hope they mayn't be layin up disappointment for theirselves i doubt it'll not come to much good no more nor its mother as alice a deal o trouble wi childer o that mac as didn't ought to live at all no baby princess however could have been considered of more importance or in her own way more tenderly nurtured than this poor little waif that didn't ought to a lived at all and when she said her prayers at betsy's knee or slept with smiling lips and chubby folded hands she really looked quite as good and innocent as a child need be it was wonderful the neighbours said one warm sunday afternoon ned was sitting in the doorway smoking his pipe betsy being established a little farther within the house spelling out the weekly mercury which was her staple sunday literature polly was taking a little nap in an impromptu bed composed of the two armchairs once used by betsy's parents a sabbath stillness was reigning everywhere all the church-goers and lovers and sunday school children were out o the road and the silence was only broken by the trill of a lark circling downwards just within the range of ned's vision and the hum of bees ned followed the motions of the lark with tranquil enjoyment puffing luxuriously at his pipe the while and when the bird's song suddenly ceased as 
after completing its final circle it darted to earth his eyes descending also encountered those of a stranger standing by his gate dark eyes they were weary and anxious looking yet with a latent fierceness in them which somehow startled ned but when the girl spoke it was in a gentle and timid voice would ye kindly give me a drink of water i have walked a long way and i'm tired ah come in do and rest ye a bit responded ned removing the pipe from his mouth we mun find ye summat better than water though the missus'll be getting the tay in two or three minutes come in and sit ye down the girl opened the gate and entered dragging her feet in their dusty ill-made boots the high heels of which had been worn quite crooked in a way which betokened extreme fatigue her crimson skirt was draggled and covered with dust and her dark hair though dressed in the height of the fashion was rough and untidy betsy eyed her with some disfavour and reckoned she'd best set her chair nigh the door where to be cooler but the strange girl stepped past her into the little kitchen and peered about curiously it's a snug little place she said do you live here all alone you too betsy was at first disposed to be offended at the freedom of the question but her heart softened as she glanced at the visitor she was no but a slip of a lass after all who knew no better poor thing she did look pale too and tired her eyes were quite wild all alone echoed betsy drearily no but the child the child ah there she lays yonder nay see she's wackened up at this moment in truth a little ruffled flaxen head reared itself over the back of one of the chairs and a drowsy voice called mammy the visitor stood as if turned to stone but no stone was ever of such a hue as suddenly overspread those cheeks of hers if they'd been white before they were red enough now eh my pretty lamb cried betsy who at this moment had no eyes for anything but the child come then come wacken up and show the bonny face polly who had been vigorously rubbing her eyes with her chubby little fists held out her arms now with a sleepy smile blinked a great deal and made some rather incoherent remark in tones still husky from her recent slumber now then said betsy brimming over with motherly pride come and say good afternoon pretty there's a good lass she carried her over to the visitor who turned with what seemed a little effort and looked at the child fixedly she is a bonny little thing she said and paused she has got blue eyes i see she continued adding with a sort of defiant glance at her hostess i always notice eyes first nay but look ye here cried betsy offended as the other moved a little away without admiring half polly's points see her legs and these here little arms as mottled and as firm feel of em the girl clasped them for a moment and then loosed her hold colouring again all over her face i can't bear to look at her she said i had a, a sister with blue eyes once ah and she's dead i reckon said betsy commiseratingly yes long since there is no one belonging to me now well sit ye down and we'll have tea directly run to dada polly polly toddled off on her little unsteady legs shouting as ned caught her up in his arms to kiss and tickle her 
you look old folk to have such a young child said the visitor suddenly ah more like a grandfather and grandma i doubt said betsy with a jolly laugh but she isn't our child you see really though yet in a way she is how's that betsy nothing loath to tell a tale in which she took never-failing delight recounted polly's history while she bustled about preparing for tea dwelling especially on the little un's amazing cleverness in declining to return to her unnatural parent when i tell you that she was living for nine months within a few miles of the child and niver come next or nigher a nice life of it the poor lamb would have had with her perhaps said the girl absently for she was watching the little leaping crowing figure in gaffer's arms perhaps the poor creature was ashamed pooh cried betsy setting her arms akimbo and looking as if she could say something very sarcastic if she chose ashamed indeed here gaffer come to your tea gaffer came in carrying polly whom he seated on his knee and regaled with a drink out of his saucer the tea having been previously cooled with much blowing well whichever way it is i'm reet thankful to keep the little un resumed betsy when she had attended to the wants of her guest gaffer and me wouldn't know what to do with ourselves without her the mother might turn up some day yet and, and want her back though said the stranger stooping to pick up her spoon which she had dropped nay said gaffer i do not think she will i really do not we never had a word nor a line for two year very near and if she did come back ah if she did well then the missus and me as it settled between us to mack out a terrible bill for the keep of the child you see we never had a penny since she was nine month old and we'll mack out such a bill for food and clothes and our trouble you know we're minding her as she'll never be able to pay so then we'll say as we monkey at the child till she does here gaffer winked across the table at his missus and leant back in his chair chuckling at his own foresight and sagacity that's our plan you see he added bending down to poke a little bit of tea-cake into polly's expectant mouth is that your plan said the stranger looking full at him well it may be a good one for you but i think it's cruel hard on the mother the child's hers after all and no matter how low she may have fallen she has the best right to it the very beasts love their young ones you know well but see now said gaffer earnestly look at this child would ye ever wish to see a healthier or a bonnier one and ark to her saying a little prayers and hymns and that eh the missus have brought her up wonderful we reckon to do the best for her as ever we can she'll have her schooling and be taught her religion and when she gets a big lass and is happen thinking o' getting wed we's find her a bit o' brass to help her set up house she's all be good and happy if we can mak her so you may depend on that and if her mother goes and takes her offers what'll she do wi her do you think i've nought agin a poor soul and i wish she may come to no harm gaffer said this in a tone which implied that he thought it extremely likely that she would but arter all she is but a foolish bit of a thing who couldn't keep straight when she had the chance given to her what sort of training would she give the poor child it's well if she didn't make her just such another as herself nay nay we're either eat to keep the poor innocent from her if we can the girl did not answer 
but her eyes were cast down, and there was a curious look on her face. Now, Polly, said Ned, let's hear you say Grace. Eh, she does say it so nice. Hark to her now. Polly's two little hands were somewhat forcibly joined, and she lisped out an infantile version of a grace after meat, with many gasps and stops, and not a few promptings, her blue eyes roving round the table the while. Ned beamed with pride and triumph, and was loath to allow the performance to end, even with the Amen. Let's have an eat prayers now. You'll never believe, in a rapturous aside, how wonderful she says em. Polly, drawing a very long breath, started off at a brisk canter through the Our Father, adding eagerly and impatiently, God best dadda and mammy, God best me, and make me a good ittle lass. That's all. Was that indeed all? Does she never say a prayer for her mother? cried the girl, speaking in a strange, harsh voice, and rising from a chair. I mean, her own mother. Do you never make a prayer for her? Well, you see, returned Betsy, we ain't got to look on her as our own, I may say. I reckon we didn't make much count of the mother, poor creature, and happen, when all said and done, it's best not to be naming her to the innocent child. Oh, you are hard folks, exclaimed the stranger passionately. You are cruel folks. Oh, my God, it's a hard, cruel world. You might have let the child pray. She stopped and choked with sobs and suddenly snatching Polly from Ned's arms, kissed her fiercely, and rushed out of the house. As soon as the good couple had in some measure recovered from their astonishment, they rushed to the door, but the shabby figure was already out of sight. "'Eh! What macker wench is yon?' cried Betsy, gazing at her husband in great perturbation. "'Eh! Poor misfortunate thing! I reckon she is in trouble!' I misdoubt me so, she's not much good, poor creature. Happen she and our Polly's mother is a pair. Nay, missus, groaned Gaffer, I doubt they're one. We'n been a pair of fools, missus, that's what it is. Yon poor lass is our Polly's mother herself. But she's left the child, stammered Betsy, after a pause. For good? Yes, she had left the child for good. End of chapter 2